morning cross point. That's a good one. We're so very blessed that you have chosen to worship with us either in person or online. Thank you for being here to express your worship of our Heavenly Father in spirit and in truth. I'm going to do a little bit different introduction here. My name is Maurice Bean. If you remember from last week, I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ. I just thought I would try that out. I love it. I'm also an elder here at Cross Point Fellowship, and I'm very happy to be with, here, with you here this morning, to be here with you this morning. I'll get it out. Now, last week, I began a two-sermon series out of the New Testament book of Jude. Last week, we examined the first two verses of this short but powerful book. You certainly are encouraged to read this entire book, if you haven't been, to get the full picture that God used Jude to write for us as believers. However, I'm going to bypass the middle section about the warning of false prophets. We're going to examine verses 3 and 4 and then skip to verse 17 through 23 this morning. Let me invite you to turn to the book of Jude. It's the, la it's the next to the last book of the Bible. If you find Revelation, just back up a couple pages. There it is. But first, I would ask you to join me in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we come before you again as a praying people to seek your guidance in your word, the word that you have breathed out in order that we might be equipped to be light bearers in a darkened world and salt bearers in a tasteless world, to know you more in order that we could be more effectively in sharing the gospel with those around us, to make disciples for your glory and honor. Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Now, if you're able, I would ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'll begin reading verses 3 and 4, and then jump to verse 17 through 23. Read along with me. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, to show to others show mercy with fear, 
hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Please be seated. Now, last week, we saw in the first two verses of Jude a clear description of who we are. We're called. We're beloved by God. And we are kept for Jesus Christ. In these verses, or in verse 2 then, we are given a blessing of mercy, peace, and love. This week I I came across a commentary by F.B. Meyer. He was a Baptist pastor and evangelist who lived from 1847 to 1929. About Jude, he said, the word kept is the keynote of the book of Jude. The word is used in, in three different, actually four different verses. Verse 1, verse 6, and verse 21, and then in another form in verse 24. God reminds us in this letter that he is the active agent in our lives and in all of the universe. The eternal keeping of us for his son Jesus Christ is what he tells us he does. We're kept for Jesus Christ. Now, Again, the next section that I've largely chose to skip this morning is about the false prophets. But again, I want to encourage you to read that and put all this together. But in dealing with the false prophets that were plaguing the first century church and the church today as well. Now let's look at verses 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude writes to us to encourage us to not give in to the false teaching that are all too prevalent, both in the first century and today. This aspect of false teaching is very real today. You don't have to go far to see it. In our current age of technology, we have things available to us that weren't available in the first century. It would be very easy. In fact, when I was up reading this morning, I got three emails, two text messages, and then a host of stuff from our life group getting ready for the 9 o'clock time. It's very easy for us to communicate with one another, and that's a good thing. But it can also be a very dangerous thing if we spend time searching for things that are out there, we can be drawn into false teachings very easily if we're not discerning. Jude warns us about that 
issue of false teaching very clearly. And he tells us that we are to contend for the faith. Say it another way, we're to fight for what we believe. We're to put on our armor. That faith was delivered to us, the saints. And that's us as believers today. He goes on to explain that these false teachers have one goal, to to pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and to deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That is not a holy goal at all. We must beware. So what are we supposed to do? First of all, we need to realize that this is not just a 21st century event. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, God says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. For there is nothing new under the sun. In our lives today, just as in the first century church, We are surrounded by evil teachings. Things that are so clearly and completely opposite of anything that that honors God as a holy creator. There are also things taught that sound pretty good. You're saying, that's not all bad. So it Sounds kind of good, but as we examine them more closely, it becomes clear that the foundation of what is being taught is simply to cause divisions and to pull us away from God and His truths. We are to be wary of new teachings. God's Word is complete. It is finished. And then he reveals it to us through the Holy Spirit bit by bit as we study. But new teachings, as they're presented, we're to be wary of those. We need to weigh the teachings against God's Word because God's Word is never changing. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is no change in God. He is true to himself. He is true to what he has already said. There is no change in his word. In 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, we see in that passage that he breathed out Exhaled, expired. He breathed out the words that we have as his word. There is no change in God. Moving down to verses 17 through 19. This passage gives a clear picture of the false teachings that we're to be wary of in our lives. In verse 17... But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, 
in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. This is clear that the false prophets, teachers, scoffers have one goal in following their own ungodly passions, and that is to cause division in the church, to make everyone they disagree with have doubts, even to turn the elect possibly away from God. That's their goal. Of these times of false teachers, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. We are to be wary. We are to be discerning. So how do we respond? Well, first of all, we do not need to study all of the isms that are in the world. We don't need to study all of the false teachings. We don't need to study the scoffers and see what their methods are. We don't need to do that. What do we need to do? We need to spend time in God's Word. In verse 20, God says through Jude, But you, beloved, but you, rather than thinking about the scoffers and the false teachers and everything, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I remember when I was in high school playing football, before the game, the coach would, would huddle us all up, and he would, he would talk to us, and he'd give us that coach's speech to encourage us. He would not encourage us to do whatever we thought we ought to do. He didn't encourage us to do whatever we think is best for us. He did not encourage us to do whatever makes you happy. Okay. What did he do? He encouraged us to set our minds to do the right thing and to strive to do our best to win. Like that coach, Jude gives us four admonitions to follow. This is the meat of the epistle in regard to how we are to live our lives and how we are to contend for the faith, how we are to persevere. First of all, the first, continue, I'm going to read the four, then we're going to break them down. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's number one. Number two, Build your character after the likeness of Christ. It's the second thing. The third thing, pray in the Holy Spirit and keep at the oriel window of hope. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Number four, Christ is able to keep, and when at last we are presented by him to the Father, we shall realize how much we owe him. 
So let's examine these four admonitions. The first admonition is this. Keep yourselves in the main current of God's love. So how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, we have to consider what Jesus himself said to his disciples in that upper room discourse, the night, the night that he was going to be arrested. Turn to John 15 with me. John 15, 5, Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first key to staying in the main current of God's love involves abiding in him. Just two verses down, John 15, 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If we are abiding in him, whatever we ask of him, he will do for us. Now please note, this is not about material things. This is not about getting stuff. This is not about building our barns bigger and filling them up. If we're abiding in him, our wanter gets fixed. Now, you remember in the early 90s, the little bracelet that everybody wore. What would Jesus do? Well, after a couple of years of that, I heard someone say, we need a bracelet that says, if you abide in Jesus, he'll fix your wanter. You don't have to ask, what would Jesus do? You would ask yourself, what do I want to do? see, if we're abiding in Christ, we're going to want the things that he has already told us that he wants us to have. Our wanter gets fixed. John 15, 9 says then, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Once again, we see that central key in living in the love of God is abiding in Christ. And abiding in him is all about keeping his commandments. John 15, 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now, this is not about just abiding and obeying for obedience' sake. It's not about missing out on the punishment. Keeping God's commandments comes more naturally to us as we abide in Him. That's what we want to do. The more you love God, the more you want to keep His commandments. Why? Because of the blessings in that relationship with God. This is about keeping the Father's commandments because we are abiding in His love and that's what we want to do. The second admonition is this. Build your character after the likeness of Christ. One vital aspect of building our character after the likeness of Christ involves working, 
Yeah, there's that W word, working. To put into place the qualities of character that God has told us that we are to strive for. One such list is in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, these nine fruit of the Spirit are qualities that God wants in our life. Build one upon the other. Each subsequent fruit is dependent on the prior fruit being in place. As we learn to love, love leads to joy. Then joy leads to peace. Peace leads to patience. Patience leads to kindness. Kindness leads to goodness. Goodness leads to faithfulness. Faithfulness leads to gentleness. Gentleness leads to self-control. Striving to build these fruits in our lives is how we build our character after the likeness of Christ. Another list we can use as go-to verses are found in the Sermon on the Mount in a passage that we refer to as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 11. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, like the passage in Galatians 5 regarding the fruit of the Spirit, each of the Beatitudes lead to the building of the next. These Beatitudes are also evidence of our striving to build our, quali- our character after the likeness of Christ. Each one leads to the next quality. The third admonition is this. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep at the oriel window of hope. This is a phrase that F.B. Meyer used. And when I read that, I thought, I, I don't know what an oriel window is. So I looked it up. The picture that accompanied the definition was a window that was built high on an upper wall, and it stuck out from the wall. And there was a little platform that you could step out into the window and you're surrounded by the glass and you can see a wider picture than you could in a normal window. And the picture is leaning forward 
Now, some of you that are spooked by high places might not like that. But as you lean, you lean forward into that window, that's an oriel window of hope. The picture is we're to lean into the hope that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. We have a wider horizon of what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in our spirit. Not a microscopic view, but a telescopic view. And that's what we're to focus on. That's what we have in our hope in Jesus Christ. In his blog in 2016, Billy Graham pointed out five verses of hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I'm only going to focus on one. Deep breath. Ha, ah, good. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. God says through Paul, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As we pray in the Holy Spirit, what is revealed to us is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It's an eternal hope, a hope that does not end, a hope that will never be taken away. The fourth admonition is this. Christ is able to keep us. And when at last we are presented by him to the Father, we shall realize how much we owe him. This fourth admonition from Jude is a powerful reminder that while we are kept by God the Father for his son the groom, Jesus, is, as God, is also capable of keeping us. We are preserved, watched over, and held fast by Jesus Christ. In John, tw or John 10, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Talking about us. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. See, we're kept in a double perfect grip. Not just in the grip of Jesus, but in the grip of the Father also. Never doubt that, and it never fails. Now, while we can hear that truth, we have to work to understand that reality, don't we? We have to really think about it and pray about it, and we still don't grasp it completely. That will be revealed to us in its completeness when we are in heaven with our Lord, and we're standing before a completely holy God standing before him. It is at that time we, I believe, will realize 
just how much we've been given by God. His mercy, His grace, and His salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, we will fully realize just how much we owe Him. Now the last two verses in this passage are verses 23, 22 and 23. Here we're exhorted, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is another aspect of what Jude is encouraging us to do and how we're to respond to those around us. First, he talks about for those who doubt what we believe. It'd be real easy just to give them the hand and walk away. But God says we're to keep in mind that we show mercy toward those who doubt. We're to keep in mind that those who do not believe in Jesus as the Lord and Savior do not have the Holy Spirit in their life to teach them the truth of God's Word. And if they don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in them, why would we be surprised that they doubt? Well, of course they would. So what do we do? We need to understand 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So since they don't have the Spirit of God leading them, they're going to doubt what we believe. So what do we do? We pray for them to be drawn by the Holy Spirit to Jesus. We show them the love of Jesus in our loving actions toward them. We want them to know the Jesus that we know. Next, we're commanded to save others by snatching them out of the fire. Several references, there are several directions in this, but one of the ways is to think about sharing continually the gospel of Jesus Christ with others around us. Why? so that they don't get consumed in the fire in hell. Because that's what's waiting for them otherwise. So we can snatch them, not us personally, but we can see them snatched out of the fire as we pray, and the Holy Spirit works in their life and brings them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Another thing we can see about being snatched out of the fire there's a story of three Hebrew men who were saved from a fiery furnace. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Also referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the third chapter of Daniel, were cast into a fiery furnace, and they were saved from the flames by the power of God. It's the picture of what is possible when God draws us out and draws us to Jesus. We're snatched from the flames of hell. Now we're also to show mercy with fear. This passage is what we are to do with a warning. The Bible is very clear that we're to avoid sin in our lives. 
Doesn't mean we have to avoid sinful people. If that were the case, we wouldn't be here this morning. <laughs> because we're all sinful people, aren't we? But we're not to avoid the people of the world. We can be in their midst, but we can't be like them. That's the warning. It is our responsibility to help those who are defiled in their flesh by the things that they're doing. We pray for them. We testify to them. We love them. But the warning is we can all too easily be drawn into that temptation. We have to be careful. We have to love the person but hate the sin. We can't be drawn into the sin, but it's easy to do. Pastor Kyle read from Galatians 6 this morning. He knew what the title of the sermon was. He knew what the passage was I was preaching. He didn't know I was going to use Galatians 6. So that's a great bookend. Galatians 6.1 Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We have to be careful in that. In our daily lives, as we're following God, we're to be watchful that we're not pulled into that same sin that someone else is involved in. We have to strive to remain free of that temptation. I've, I've learned through the years that there are temptations that I can stand firm against. I can. It's one of the battle plans that God gives us. Stand firm in His strength in, in, in Ephesians 6. But we're also taught to flee idolatry. That's the other battle plan. If there's something in your life that's been an idol in the past, you're going to run away from that. You're not to stand firm. You're to flee. So there's some things I can stand firm against. There's some things that I have to flee. That gives us that sensible fear to walk in wisdom. As to those who are called, Beloved by God the Father and kept for the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to keep ourselves in the love of God. We are called to build our character after the likeness of Christ. We are called to pray in the Holy Spirit. We are called to believe that Christ is able to keep and to keep us. And when at last we are presented by Him to the Father, we will know what we owe him that we don't have to pay. In these things, we are called to contend for the faith. In these things, we are called to persevere. Praise be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the words that you have so lovingly provided for us to contend for the faith, to persevere, to recognize that we are called as your 
children. Father, be with us for the rest of this day, this week, and until Jesus returns for us to take us home for all eternity. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.